Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand here with Jonathan Peel. All right, so the the school that I teach at, Carleton College, is on trimesters, meaning we, like, just finished our term. I know that most people have been done, you know, for ages and ages, but we just wrapped up spring term 2020. Um, So I'm recording this episode, you know, lying on the floor drunk after... After after right. a trying term, just so everyone knows, it's nine in the morning uh, that we're recording <laughs> this. Got to do what you got to do. Desperate times. Mm-hmm. Um. So so yeah. So uh, one online term down. Who knows what fall is like? Jonathan has watched you announced what's happening in the fall. I think that the current plan um, is that uh, every class will be offered in a hybrid model, so mm-hmm. that we should be prepared to accept students on campus. Uh, and also online, and but there's some discretion. Uh, if uh, people don't want to teach in person, uh, they may have the option to to move their own class online. So it's trying to okay. you know protect the professors and the students, but it's still a little bit up in the air. Okay. Um, and I believe that they're for the in person classes, they're doing like a four to one ratio. So if you if you have twenty students in your class, you need a room that seats eighty. Or, or you could have a quarter of your class show up at a time, whatever, trying to limit the yeah, number yeah. of people in, in class. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little, it's a little up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And Carlton, we um, have not, have not had an announcement yet. I think because our schedule has shifted, we also don't typically start until like middle of September. Um, our, our decision-making is a bit, a bit, mm-hmm. a bit behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one down now, now we know we, we can do it. In a yeah, pinch. yeah. What did you think? Um, it was much better than I expected it to be. Um, I I think that I'm very very lucky that the, the kind of students that Carlton has. Um, they've been. I mean, and I mentioned this a bit a while ago that like I, I was really amazed at how incredibly good engagement was. Um, the best attendance I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Like the the one of the assignments that they turned in, like collectively as a group, it was like the the best caliber of, for that assignment that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I was I was really really surprised at, at the fact that it went pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's not the same, but it's um, but it it was nowhere near as dismal as I was worried it might be. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I uh, I mean who knows what the new normal will look like in two years or five years, but. Um, I think there were definite advantages to online teaching I hadn't considered, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of organization and giving people flexibility about things. And mm-hmm. on the one hand, I think I, uh, anyway, for, I, for no good reason, I think it's been ingrained in me that too much flexibility is bad because then, then you, you are not helping people be responsible. Like, mm. like when you have to file taxes, they're due on a particular date. And so that's like real life. And so if your exam doesn't have a real due date, but it's like, turn it in whenever you want. Is that really helping people manage their time? Well, um, uh, and it's like like that experiment that one of the, one of the granting agencies did a while ago of like getting rid of, uh, grant deadlines. Yeah. And it turns out if you do that, nobody submits grants. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And so I think, um, so I think I've always been, been a little bit, you know, anyway, a little sympathetic to like, it's good to have actual deadlines for things. Um, but but the, but when you know for me online I did have deadlines but they were people had lots of time to do stuff and and quizzes and exams weren't timed um, and I kind of liked giving people that freedom and I think they mm-hmm. I think most students appreciated that too so if you wanted to do it 
in, in X amount of minutes at a particular time you could, but if, if your, if life got in the way, that's okay too. So anyway, yeah. I, I kind of felt like it forced me to make the class more accessible to lots of people and not just people affected by pandemic issues. And I think that's a good thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, um, what students are like paying for and, and, and going to college, especially like a small residential liberal arts college, like Carleton, mm-hmm. like what, um, you know, like what is it that they're getting out of that experience? And, and then thinking about how life has changed during pandemic has really, um, made me realize how much of what they are paying for and what they signed up for is not just the three classes that they're taking right now. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I, I was thinking about the fact that even, even if all of the faculty do an incredible job at making classes online that are engaging and challenging and all of that stuff. Um, a lot of what the experience that, that they want to get is the like late night conversations in mm-hmm. the library and playing on the Frisbee team and, yep. you know, long brunches in the dining hall, talking about philosophy and whatever, um, right. that, that you just, you can't do online. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I think and, back to college, I don't think, uh, oh, I remember when we had those in-class exams that were exactly timed to, <laughs> to so many minutes. I, I long for those days, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I also wonder, like, how much of that stuff is going to take a hit if you have to do it six feet apart and in masks? Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. Obviously, we'll, I, I imagine... You and I will keep talking about this as we plan next semester and as we, you know, as we start Same doing that, it. Yep. So, yep. Um, all right. But so the, the, the topic for today, kind of in, in light of a lot of the things that, that have been going on, Jonathan and I have been talking with each other and thinking about um, how we deal with difficult times. Um, so, so when things go wrong for us personally, professionally, um, how, how do we, how do we deal with those, especially like, how do we deal with those in, in work settings? Um, and how do we help our trainees and our peers when, when they're going through tough stuff, um, as well? So when the going gets tough, what do we do? What um, do we do, Julia? What do, oh, <laughs> we, we say, help, I, help. We, <laughs> I call Jonathan and I say, what would you do in this situation? Um, yeah, so, so. When we talked, when we, you know, uh, planned to do this as a topic and I was thinking about, about, um, how I kind of deal with, deal with difficult situations and how that has, one of the things that I thought about first is how that has kind of changed over the course of my, of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly when things happen, uh, professionally that are hard, paper gets rejected, you don't get a grant, don't get, you know, an award you hoped to get something like that. Um, I early on felt that my role, um, as a mentor was to just like go home and cry by myself where no one could see, and then put on a really brave face with students and say, yes, disappointment is part of life. Rejections are commonplace. Now we move on. Mm Um, and and more recently that has, that has really changed because I think that there is some value in modeling how to have a good attitude when you're sad. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you are like concealing the fact that you're sad or concealing the fact that, you know, this has had some kind of emotional reaction, then it seems like kind of a missed opportunity to be like, yeah, you know what? Let, let me show you some of the ways that we can deal with mm-hmm. being really bummed. 
I think that's a tough, I like that, but it's, it's a little bit of a tough, um, it can be a tough balance. So I would yeah. say like, um, f- for professional disappointment, most of my mentors did not, uh, uh, did not share a lot of that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I missed out on, on seeing it modeled, but I also, I, I, I it gave me a little bit of a, um, protected experience if you know if you know what i mean like so like as a phd student i know that there were grants that got rejected and i'm sure sure there was other stuff that was going on but i was a little oblivious to that and it kind of it didn't distract me mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, so not so not to say that's the right way to do it but i i think i think that some mentors do that on purpose to not burden and this is what you were saying right that you we mm-hmm. shouldn't burden our trainees with this stuff um mm-hmm. And I think, but I think there are some advantages to that. The question is like, are, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as a result, I didn't know. I mean, I think I was in for a little bit of a rude awakening when I gradually became aware of all the rejection I was facing professionally. And, you know, maybe you had to figure out how to deal with it on my own because I didn't have it modeled. Mm-hmm. I, I also wonder if the rejections that I had early on hit me harder than they might have otherwise, because I was like, boy, not only did I not hear much about the rejections that my mentors got, um, I mean, like, I don't mean my mentor specifically, I mean, like, you know, right. We're senior people generally, like, mm-hmm. not only did I not hear much about those, but it didn't seem like they bothered them. Why is, you yeah. know, like, why is this hitting me so hard? Why can't I deal with this, mm-hmm. you know, professionally, the way that everybody else seems to, why does it make me, you know, why mm-hmm. does it make my tummy hurt? Um, and, and so I, I think I, I could have done with maybe a little more, um, with more conversations about like, yeah, rejection is a normal part of everything, especially academia, mm-hmm. uh, but it sucks and it's okay to feel sad about it and then figure out how to deal with it and learn from it. And, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know, maybe I'm just swinging, swinging in the, no, in, I th- in a farther direction, but no, I, I kind of, I like that. Well, and we'll get to, maybe we'll, we'll also be able to talk about like non-academic, challenges too because that yeah, that, yeah, can, yeah. that can be trickier i think in some ways but um but i think it's a really good point that um for for some people who stay again there's like a there's a survivorship bias and a selection bias and all that but uh for some people who've been in the career for a while um um it's well i'll just talk about myself so i've gotten acclimated to a lot of kinds of rejection so getting papers rejected and grants rejected um can be very frustrating, but it doesn't usually um, uh, really affect like my self worth <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh, this is a bummer, but Oh, well, this has happened before it'll happen again. So I think I roll with it a lot more than I would have when I was younger. So, mm-hmm. so all of which is to say, if I share my grant, my bad grant score with my lab, um, I may brush it off a little bit, but in an honest way, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, but, but, which is fine. That's being honest. But, but that is not to say that, uh, a first year graduate student who gets a thing rejected, their first rejection ever is going to be able to similarly handle it, right? Or like right. brush it off because right. it, it is a bigger deal. They've only done one thing and I've done a hundred. So, mm-hmm. you know, after your hundredth rejection, um, well, anyway, people handle it differently, but you either get really depressed or you sort of learn to get over it. And, and I think there's also some real value in saying, you know, I'm like imagining myself in a lab meeting being like, our grant didn't get funded. Here are the comments that people made. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We are smart, motivated people. We're doing interesting and meaningful work. This is, you know, this is something that happens. And like, and like decoupling the value of 
us as human beings and the work and all of that from the rejection. Because Mm -hmm. that I think is a super important thing to model. Yes. Yes. I, I, this is, this is not mm -hmm. a thing about you. This is not a thing about us. This is a thing about this particular project. And Mm -hmm. given the qualities that we have, this is not, mm -hmm. because I think it's really easy, especially in those early rejections to be like, wow, my paper got rejected. must be because I suck. Right. Well, so, so a couple of thoughts. So, so one, one thing is, I think it's also important to set expectations for these things. And so, mm-hmm. so just be, so being honest about how often rejections happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, I think I mentioned this before, but for a while, uh, um, I had a, a wall of re- a, reje- a wall of rejections in my office. And so mm-hmm. uh, every time I got a, a rejection, I had a big red reject stamp and I would, I would print out my email saying that I didn't get the thing and mm-hmm. I would put my big reject stamp on it and I would put it on the wall. Uh, and my goal of that, and, and actually people, no one, no one, I loved it. No one else loved it. But uh, my goal was, was like not to, I don't know, brag about being rejected, but just to show how normal it was and to make it like, this is a normal thing. And actually I, for myself, I found it kind of fun because I like get, seeing the wall get bigger. And so every time uh, I would get a rejection, I'd be sad about the rejection, but a little part of me was like, Oh, another one for the wall. Um, mm-hmm. And my, but my, my, my goal was, that people in my lab would come in to talk to me about stuff and they would see this wall filled with rejections and not hopefully not think I'm an idiot, but just be like, Oh, this is normal. Like, you know, there's all, look at all these things he didn't get. And so maybe it's okay if I don't get some things also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There was like a, 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 I don't, was it a meme? I don't know. There was a thing that was, it was more popular for a while. I haven't seen it in a while, but the idea of a, a, a CV of failures, Um, and so, you know, the, you know, most of our CVs are lists of, of quote unquote accomplishments, but those are the things we got. So if you look at my, if you look at my CV and there's three grants on there, you're like, Ooh, he has three grants. But what you don't see is like the 25 I applied for that I didn't get. So Uh it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's like a clear, um, bias and what you're looking at, like a big file drawer problem. You're only looking at the successful stuff. You don't see all the stuff that didn't work. Uh, and so, and so some people, um, sort of started putting together CVs of failures to show all the stuff they applied for and didn't get. Uh, and, and, and then there was some discussion about whether that was useful or not, but I thought it was at least a useful thought experiment, um, mm-hmm. to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess, and I guess what I'm saying is that my, my approach is to go even beyond just normalizing the that we fail, mm-hmm. um, and normalizing that you can be sad when you fail and then, and then keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and being intentional about decoupling that from our own value. Yeah. Uh, because as much as today talking to you right now, I'm putting on a very positive spin on it and saying, Oh, when I don't get the grant, I, I just move on with my life. Um, that's not always between you and me. Uh, that's not always true. And there are times when I get really depressed or frustrated or, uh, whatever. And so, um, I need to hear that too, right? I need to be reminded that like we do good work and, and, uh, this rejection isn't a reflection on that. Uh, there's one other thing that I wanted to throw out there for, uh, for academic stuff in particular. Uh, so one thing that made it easier for me to deal with rejection is just dealing with it a lot. And, um, so, makes perfect. So, yeah. Well, somehow, I mean, I think some people have a harder time than others. And for whatever reason, I think I was, 
anyway, it didn't cut me to the core of my being when I got rejections. I was disappointed, but then I was able to get over it. And so practice did help. I think mm-hmm. other people do take it harder, which, which is a different, you know, anyways, I don't have experience with that. Um, but the other thing that was super useful is to be on the other side of the evaluations. Mm-hmm. And so just, I'll try not to go on too long, but three examples where as I got further along in my career, I got to evaluate things and it really, um, helped me understand. So I'll try to be vague enough. To, you know, I don't want to give away any details, but you'll get the point. So one, uh, travel award, uh, things for, for conferences. A lot of conferences have travel awards you can apply for, you know, you send in your abstract and a little paragraph about why you, you deserve a travel award and there's X amount of money to give out. And, um, and so there's usually a ratings process and, and, and whatever, but the little committee that decides on it. And, uh, I've done this a few times and quite often, you know, there'll be 15 people who are, seem equally deserving and we have money for five. Right. And so you're like, I mean, you have to pick them somehow, whether it's a lottery or, or whatever, but like the scores are not that different or the scores are, are literally equivalent. And so, so I, I know very well that I'm happy with the five people who got it. 10 people didn't through no fault of their own. There's literally nothing. I mean, even if they weren't quite as ranked, ranked quite as highly, that would also not reflect on them as a person, but literally they were ranked equally highly. We just didn't have enough money. Right. So what, so. So those 10 people are going to get a rejection letter, but I know very well that, that they did very, you know, that their application was very strong. Um, similarly, being on grant review panels, uh, it was really eye opening seeing some very famous people doing very cool stuff, like, uh, getting clearly rejected at a grant review panel. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, this was fine, but it wasn't quite as good or they had whatever. There was some bad luck. Um, and so, so being able to be on the other side of that, uh, or just seeing how competitive things are and seeing all the other people who get rejected, um, made me feel better about myself. So, uh, that was a big one. And then also a journal article review and being, doing more reviewing and doing some editing, um, and just realizing, you know, how much kind of noise is in the system, um, that it's, it's, again, it just sort of help me take a step back. And I still get really grumpy when I get grumpy reviews or don't get a paper accepted, but it's sort of, anyway, I've, I've, I've learned to just move on and submit it somewhere else. And, and, and years later, when I look back, I really don't remember any of those. Like in the moment, it's like Mm -hmm. a really super annoying thing that gets me, keeps me up at night, but, but you know, a month or a year or two years later, like, I don't even remember. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's, it's also, I mean, I think the, those, those are great examples and it's, um, I have also had a similar experience of being on the other side of things and like, I wish I could have been on a search committee for mm-hmm. jobs before yep. I applied for a job myself. Cause it like, you know, that would have made those rejections feel very different too. Yep. Um, I also wonder though, whether the extent to which rejections, whether like, um, the extent to which rejections, whether you like internalize them and they make you doubt your value and self-worth and all of those things are also a function of um, issues that have to do with race and gender and the expectations that people Mm -hmm. have of you. Right. So like often when one of, you know, one of the, the, the ugly nagging thoughts that creeps into my mind when I have a rejection is often like, yeah, well, you know, this is just reinforcing everything about maybe 
you're not smart enough to do this, little woman, and maybe you can't be a mom and do science at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't actually think these things in these terms, but it's you know, it's like um, those are those are those are the doubts, mm-hmm. right? Of like, man, if I just if my kids would sleep and I could think a little more, maybe I could do this, but maybe that's just not possible given, you know, where right. I am in life or something right. like that. Yep. Um, and so I think, you know, ta- talking, talking with students about those things and, and modeling, you know, decoupling that self-worth from, from the rejection itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think is, I think can be, can be really useful. Yeah. It also, it also forces me to have a better attitude sometimes. I mean, I have a pretty good attitude. That's like, I don't have to work very hard at that. But there are times when I feel like I would like <laughs> wallow and feel sorry for myself about things a, mm-hmm. a, a little longer. But because I have students around that I'm talking to, I have to be like, no, no, mm-hmm. show them how to do this properly. Yeah. Don't wallow. Like kind of don't um, letting yourself go down because yeah, I, if you're at a point yeah. where you kind of know that you can give yourself that talk. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's not, it's just not, it's not just good modeling for them. It's also that it helps me mm-hmm. have the kind of attitude that I want to have. Well, and, and actually, and it turns out that, um, many of the people we mentor, uh, you know, are, are really great human beings and they can be supportive in these situations. And so yeah. sharing it with them is, is yeah, partly for their sake, but actually they, they might even encourage you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what we've talked about so far are all like things going wrong professionally. Um, and, and I think it becomes much harder to deal with when you've got like stuff going on personally and you still are trying to do your job in a, you know, reasonable way. Um, I remember very early on, like probably my first year, uh, as a faculty member, um, and I was talking with a wonderful mentor, uh, who is a professor at Carleton who has since retired. Um, and he was saying that like the hardest thing that's going to happen is when something is terribly wrong with your personal life and you have to go stand in front of a group of students and get them excited about Piaget or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And like, you know, in, in a situation where you have much bigger things on your mind and yet, you know, your students, like, they, you know, you owe them something. Yep. Um, and, and those, I think, are much harder to deal with because I will talk about, I will talk to my lab about, my frustrations about getting a paper rejected, but it's not appropriate to talk to my lab or, or my classes, you know, about just like personal challenges that I'm having. Right. Right. Um, one, one of the places I, I really noticed this was in the early days of having small children and being super sleep deprived mm-hmm. and, you know, just basically wrecked, like emotionally, physically, just, kind of a hot mess and just muddling through. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the one hand, I wanted to like share that in order to um, ex- excuse my yeah. uh, incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I don't want to be like, eh, things are so hard for me. Right. You know, like, right. um, and, and that's, that's a, that's a real tough balance. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of like if you, I think you and I both value just, you know, honesty and transparency mm-hmm. on some mm-hmm. level. And so, and so, you know, you want to be honest about, I mean, partly to excuse, so I, so I can, I can relate to some of that anyway. Um, and so partly I want to be honest about what's going on. So people, 
anyway, I guess so people don't think as badly of me, like for forgetting mm-hmm. things or for being mm-hmm. late or for not, not doing the things I said I was going to do. And so I was like, well, I'm not just being lazy and like binge watching it, you know, the office again. Um, <laughs> I actually, you know, there's the other stuff going on. On the other hand, uh, yeah, it, it feels a little whiny and, 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 well, and, and you know, um, many of us, m- many people go through things that, that they don't want to share, you know, or it's not appropriate to share with, with the broader yeah. group. So it's, you know, some of that stuff is like, well, if I could, you know, if I felt comfortable, if it was appropriate to tell you this thing, you would have more sympathy for me, mm-hmm. but I don't really want to tell you this thing, um, mm-hmm. because it's none of your business. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there, there is a little bit of attention there too. Uh, and I think, uh, th- there have been times, um, in, in lab meetings, I mean, and like with my, with my research students, not so much in classes, but there have been times where, you know, we'll be talking about like all of the things that people are going to do. And I have said things like, oh, you know, I'm really eager to get to that. I do not have the mental capacity to deal with it right now, mm-hmm. but hopefully I'm going to get a good night's sleep in a couple of days. And then I look forward to dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I, um, I feel like that can kind of, you know, signal, signal where you are and why you're not doing, why you're not doing well. Um, but also show, um, uh, model a thing of being self-aware about what you can do and can't do and not Mm -hmm. beating yourself up for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like another way of saying that would be like, I wish I could do that, but I'm worried to just can't sleep and everything's the worst. Um, you know, but saying like, I know I can't do that now. I'm not being mean to myself about it. I just know I'm not capable right now, but at some point in the future, I will be. Um, Because that's also a valuable skill to have, Mm -hmm. right? Is like knowing what you can do, knowing what your limits are and not being angry at yourself for them. Right. No. And I, and I, I, well, I don't know how well I've modeled that, but I really do want people in my lab to, to do that. Right. And to, Mm -hmm. to be, to, it's totally fine. If they tell me like, look, you know, can't do this now. I can do it later or, or whatever. I mean, they, that's, mm-hmm. that's acceptable for them to do, but if I never model it, uh, mm-hmm. that might be harder. So lab people, if you're listening, I'll try <laughs> to do a better job modeling that. Um, but I also encourage you to help me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, help me with that too. Yeah. So the, the personal stuff, especially in the personal stuff, I, I guess by personal, I just mean like non-career, but sometimes these are, these are related. So I don't know how to, how to classify it, but things that aren't clear, like grant and paper and uh, award rejections or whatever, um, is, can be tricky, I think. And I think I also just want to, I mean, I think most people, if not everyone goes through a difficult time in their PhD, um, uh, where, where there's some self questioning or, or career questioning or, you know, whatever, whatever questioning. Um, there was a, did you see this? There was a few, few years ago now, um, there was a, a blog post and I, I'll link to it. Uh, and I'm just going to alter the title a little bit since we don't curse on our podcast. So it's the Valley of Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the, and the, and the, the perspective of this was that, that everyone or almost everyone in their PhD goes through a valley of, of shoot at some point. And, and, you know, it's <laughs> Do about, we, not curse on this podcast? Well, we, we have, we haven't before. <laughs> um, and so, uh, uh, and so surely in the episode about me trying to attract uh, a paper, I cursed, I'm sure I did. No, you, you, uh, you censored it. <laughs> Well, you know, I, that's, you know, words, words, words have power. We don't ever want to exclude people. That's fine. I support that. Sorry. Anyway. 
Well, anyway, so um, the idea is you 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 know you might you might sort of get worn down by the valley, or you might get it through if you if you can walk through long enough. And so um, there was some talk about that, but I think that it is I, I think it is um, helpful to normalize that there are many people have a go through a difficult period of their PhD, and and many people get through it. Um, and whether that's in your first or second or third year, or fourth year, um, hopefully it's not the whole time. But but anyway, I think this is a, a fairly common common thing. But I also think that can be hard to talk to your advisor about, um, especially if it's about losing confidence in your in your ability or, or your interest, right? And so um, so I guess one one question is, you know, as mentors, how can we how can we help people through that? Uh, but, but if we don't know, that's also hard. Um, but also for people going through those hard times, which of course you don't have to be a PhD student. How do you, how do you look for help? But, but how do we support each other? Right. So maybe you're, maybe you know that your classmate is going through a hard time. You're, you know, you're someone in your year and like, how do you, how do you support them? Um, cause it, you know, it, I, it, especially for these personal things, it's hard to know sometimes how to best do that. Mm-hmm. At some point we should do an episode about, what it means about academia and our training process. If it's, if it's so common for people to go through this, and, yeah. you know, yep. <laughs> um, what that, what that says about the system that we're bringing people up in. But, um, but yeah, so the question of like, what do we right? How do we help our students, our trainees when they're struggling um, and in helping, helping peers too. Um, right. So for the same reasons and for some different reasons that we are reluctant to share the hard things that we are going through with our students, they're, you know, reluctant to, to share it with us. I remember when I went through, when, when I decided to quit my PhD program and then didn't, uh-huh. um, you know, that was a really hard thing to talk to my mentor about, especially because so much of it is tied up in like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. um, and also when I like had hard personal things that had nothing to do with work, but were just hard personal things. Um, that's, that's hard too, because you want to show that you can be tough and, you know, be, be unaffected by those things. And I feel like, especially as, as a woman, I was really like concerned that I didn't want to be emotional and not be able to do my job as a scientist because I was having too many feelings, Mm -hmm. right. Which then just makes you feel even worse. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so how do we, so how do we help our students in those in those, in those situations, how do we help them help ferry them through the, the valley? Well, I, you know, I think part of it is, um, so what I, I'm going to go against what I said before. So I, I think it is tricky. So part of this is uh, uh, students may not feel comfortable sharing things. Um, uh, and so you're like, well, if I only knew I could help you. But also, uh, you know, frankly, some of it, a lot of it is just none of our business. And so I think, I think, a more helpful way of thinking about it. Um, like, yes, I think encouraging open communication is useful, but I think also trying to design a system that supports people no matter what. Right. So like, you know, to encourage people, uh, all the time, right. Not just like, Oh, you're having a hard time. I'm going to turn on my encouragement button and like be supportive. But like, actually, wouldn't it be great if we had a system that, that where we, whether it's modeling, how to deal with this or, or giving people flexibility about deadlines or whatever that like, you didn't have to ask for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in a, in a, it's a little bit of a stretch, but in a weird way, it kind of ties back to what I was saying about online teaching where like, 
Like now I wave my magic wand and everyone has flexibility. And so some people need it more than others, but it doesn't, I don't have to dole it out to like person one and not person two. It's more just Mm -hmm. kind of built in. So I think the challenge for one challenge would be how do we set up our, our, our labs um, and our kind of our, our, you know, our closest, our, our sphere of influence, you know, anyway, whatever, uh-huh. you know, in, in our departments or whatever, in a way that like people don't have to tell us what's going on and they can still have some flexibility. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think that's super important. And I think a lot of the most, probably, probably a lot of the hardest things that people are dealing with are things that, that are none of my business. And so I right. would still like to support them, but I don't, I, I shouldn't need to know the details to support them. So, right. um, and I don't know that I, do a great job of that now, but I think it's aspirationally, I would like to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want, so one thing I never understood really, I guess I understand it a little bit more. Now. Well, actually I should, I, I should, Oh, sorry. I'll finish the story and then you'll, you'll see why I'm <laughs> laughing. Um, yourself, yeah. I've read surveys uh, over the years, you know, you ask PhD students, what's your, what's going well and what, what would you change? And what's your, what are your biggest complaints? Um, and I, I can't, I, I will look for a reference. I don't know if I can find one because it's just been like a, a thing I've paid attention, I've noticed over the years. But one of the biggest complaints is like not enough time with my, with my mentor or, or people saying, Oh, it's been, it's been a, two months since I had a meeting with my, my advisor. Um, and to me, that's always seemed kind of crazy because like that's a big part of being a, being a mentee or being a PhD student is meeting with your mentor. And so uh-huh. it seems like, um, it seems like something is wrong there now. Now, sometimes that could be, well, so I think ultimately it lies with the mentor to make sure this stuff happens. You know, Uh it could be that if a PhD student is, is able to articulate this, that a mentor would be very happy to meet more often. Um, of course, so that would be great, but then also there might be mentors who just don't want to meet with you very much. Uh, and that, Uh that never, I never understood that. Um, I was laughing because, I'm saying this, so I, I try to have weekly meetings with all of my research, all of my men, all of my mentees, um, but they do get canceled. And especially pre pre pandemic, when I was traveling a lot, it's like, oh yeah, we have a weekly meeting, but like I'm gone every other week. So, so then I, you know, uh, so maybe I'm guilty of this too. All of which is to say, I think one way we can support our trainees is like to talk to them. And to have regular meetings. And I think um, usually there's something to talk about. And if there's not, you can always meet and be like, okay, it's a five-minute update this week. But then we have time to do other stuff. So I think, you know, put, putting the burden on trainees to come talk to us or come, oh, I'll talk to you anytime, but you have to do the work to come find me, I think is probably not ideal. Yeah. And, and, and also that it's much easier to talk to people about stuff that's hard if you already know them really well and have a you know, yeah. have established a good relationship right. with them. So, so I feel like when I have had students who are struggling with stuff, I feel so much better equipped to help them um, when when I know them well, right? Mm-hmm. And like I have a good sense of what's going to work for them, and you know what their other issues are and what they're thinking about. Well, and then um, you can, yep. And then you kind of know like what what's normal for them too, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. it's like it's like hey, every every week for a month for a year we've been having X kind of interaction, and now it's changed. So something's mm-hmm. going on, and so that can kind of help me clue in. I think the other thing I would um, that I I think I've used before, and again, this is this is vague, partly because my memory is bad, and partly on purpose, so it's not about any specific situation. But um, uh, I think it's okay to to tell hypothetical stories 
Mm-hmm. So I think if, if I had a, a student who I thought had some stuff going on that may or may not be my business, but I wanted to still encourage them, I, I think I would uh, consider just telling a story out of the blue, right? I mean, sometimes as a mentor, you just have to be a little bit awkward and talk too much um, and just say, you know what? One time this thing happened to a friend of mine and here's what happened and, you know, and, and, and here's how it turned out. And so you don't have to ask people. I think it's not effective or always appropriate. Sometimes it might be, but it's not always to say, well, what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think sort of kind of giving examples of flexibility or support in a, in a generic sense or mm-hmm. applied to someone else's case, like, Hey, this thing is taking longer than, than I would have thought. Uh, and it doesn't matter why, but here's another story about someone else. And here's what we did there. And so maybe we could talk about, you know, would anything like that be helpful? So you don't need to know what's going on to sort of offer the the solutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think also that um, like um, knowing them better and having a better relationship before things go wrong um, is also helpful because then it gives you more, you know, if things are hard. And one of the things that I often see is when students are struggling with something and they're not able to do work that is as good as usual. And then they feel bad about, you know, disappointing mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Um, that that's having already established a good relationship where you can say, boy, I, you know, I know that this is not what you wanted to do on this project. And I know that in different circumstances, you can do much better than this. Mm-hmm. Like that time you did that other thing. That's, you know, I, I know you're smart and hardworking and can figure these things out because look mm-hmm. at that thing that you did. And mm-hmm. This, this too shall pass. And so having, having established that good relationship ahead of time. I think works for works for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and, and actually, I really like um, what you put in there about just explicitly reminding people about their strengths, or yeah. um, and also even things that are aspirational. So if, mm-hmm. if I'm feeling super depressed, uh, um, so uh, so we had a marriage counselor uh, for a time who was really good, and and she would always um, summarize things in a very aspirational way, and and so so I mean I, I well. I can't even remember exactly a detail and probably I shouldn't be sharing all this anyway, but uh, it, was, it was sort of like, so it, it translated to academics. It was sort of like, you know, Julia, you know, let's just summarize. You are a really smart, capable researcher who's done X, Y, and Z. Ooh, and tell me more. You've, you've applied for this and, you know, you've, you've got a grant this year and it's going great. And you have this really interesting paper and people in your lab are really happy. And so, you know, Ooh, I like um, this episode. Huh? <laughs> we need more of this, right? Uh, and so, and so you're going to, you're going to be able to, to, to deal with this problem too. Now, mm-hmm. in that moment, you may not care about all that stuff, or you may not feel like you can deal with the problem, but having someone tell you sort of like summarize it, you know, and like focus on the stuff that you've actually, like actual facts, right? Like mm-hmm, you did mm-hmm. this thing and it was good, um, can be really helpful over time. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think, um, and, and yeah, so like summarizing aspirational things in a very concrete way, I think is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Within reason, right? Like, Julia, you are going to get the Nobel Prize this year, and it's going to be great. <laughs> what do you mean within reason? Yeah, you know, there I, isn't a Nobel yeah, Prize. Well, sorry, not to, That's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, so this this reminds me of a con- the conversation we had a couple of episodes um, ago about about mentors and the importance of uh, I'm going to say like cultivating a nice portfolio of mentors mm-hmm. um, because because it may be that you know people really differ in uh, the extent to which they are 
able to help or have the tools to help or want to help when um, when people are struggling. And I think this is another like nice example of of why it's so important to have um, a really like varied support network, mm-hmm. right? So that when when you are struggling, um, you know, like when when things are hard for me, uh, I talk about it very differently with my peers and my friends and my students and my research students and the students in my classes. Um, and I think having a, having a, a, a larger and more varied set of people that you can talk to about these issues um, is, is really helpful, both because there are some people you're going to be willing to be more open with. Um, and also because different people will give different advice and different kinds of, um, you know, sets, sets of feedback. Um, when I, uh, so, so I had a, a sabbatical that happened after my like pre tenure review and I happened to, uh, to, to, to fall pregnant, um, just at like the start of that sabbatical. So basically I was going to have a baby as soon as the sabbatical was over. And that meant that I was going to have to ask the Dean for an additional like maternity leave after just having had a whole year off. And I was very uncomfortable about that. Right. Cause I was like, I've just had a whole year off teaching and now I'm going to be like, actually, can I have some more time off? Um, and I talked to lots and lots of different people about it. And usually when you talk to lots of different people, you get lots of different advice. Um, but this time, every single person that I talked to said, yeah, obviously, take a maternity leave. You can't just, yes, you, you have to do that, mm-hmm. even, if it, even if you're worried about it and you feel you know, awkward about it, whatever. Um, and I feel like sometimes it's nice to get a collection of advice from different people because they give different advice. And sometimes if they're all giving the same advice, that's yeah. also quite telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was the right thing to do. Yep. That's Thanks good. And, and I also yeah. think, uh, for, I mean, maybe that wasn't, maybe that particular one was, was okay to ask lots of people, but there might be cases where you don't, you know, whatever you want to keep your private business somewhat private. And so yeah. if, if I have someone in my lab who doesn't want to tell me that, that X is going on, I think that's, that's, you know, totally understandable and, and maybe good, but mm-hmm. they should probably tell someone. And so if you have a network, um, that's useful. I think it's also, I mean, this is also very hard to do easier said than done, but I think it's also okay to tell people that you have, you know, things going on that you don't want to get into details about. So for example, if I, if I had a student come say, look, I've got some stuff going on. I don't want to get into details, but it's making these things hard. It would probably help me to be more, to be more supportive in whatever ways I could and also encourage them to, to look for people who aren't me um, and so depending on what's going on, you know, if it's academic, there are other academic people who can help. If it's, you know, personal or health related, there might be other ways there. And so just to look for people to help you. And I think, I think that can be when we're going through a really hard time, reaching out is sometimes one of the hardest things to do. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be kind of glib about this. Um, like for myself, that's been true. And I haven't reached out when stuff has been really hard, but I do think it often helps. So. Mm-hmm whatever you can do to, to force yourself to reach out even a little bit, I think can be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, to, so for anyone listening, uh, if Julie and I can be helpful to you, like there's only so much we can do probably, but if you need someone to talk to, um, you're welcome to email us, even if it's anonymously and we can try to try to help you out too. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Take good care of uh, yourselves and each other. Um, feel free, as always, to email us at uh, juice and squ- 
(laughs) (laughs) At where? (laughs) At thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, juiceandsqueeze.net, and there's a contact form there. Um, We'd love to hear from you. We're particularly interested in suggestions for future episodes. Uh, As it may be clear, we could just talk to each other uh, all day about all kinds of things. But if there are things that you'd uh, particularly like to hear about, Mm -hmm. let us know. Yep. And uh, yeah, we love your questions. We love your feedback. And, uh, you know, we're just so grateful you're listening. Thank you for listening and uh, for encouraging us that way. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.